Pastor Xavier Reese explains that going through the motions doesn't go far with God. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so He does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. And so the people were coming to God's altar in hypocrisy. Notice that He saw past their tears and emotions and deceit. Therefore, God rejects their worship. It's hypocrisy. God sees through that. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Though the definition of marriage continues to be challenged in our ever-politically correct culture, from the first book of the Old Testament to the last of the New Testament, Scripture hasn't wavered regarding God's divine design for the family. And today, Pastor Xavier refers to the Old Testament's last prophet, Malachi, in which God reaffirms the holy institution of marriage to the willfully disobedient nation of Israel. It's simple truths that need to be yet reaffirmed for today's church as well. Let's listen. Malachi is God's final voice to the nation of Israel until God would send John the Baptist 400 years later. That's an awfully long time for God to be silent. And yet when God is silent, He is always active. Sometimes we think because God is silent in our life, we think that He's not active. But God is very active in all the affairs of the world and in every individual's life. It had been 139 years since Zerubbabel returned from captivity of Babylon in 536 of the decree of Cyrus. 123 years had passed since they had heard the voice of Haggai and Zechariah rebuking them for their complacency and encouraging them to come back to build the temple and also listening to their proclamations that the Messiah and the kingdom would come. That was 520. 48 years had passed now since Nehemiah had returned to build the walls, the city. Ezra had instructed them in the word and the ways of the Lord. That was 445. Now it is 397 B.C. And the people have become disillusioned, disheartened with God's love. They have thought him to be unfaithful. 139 years have passed. God has not come through. What's the use of serving God? Where's the profit? Where's the benefit? It's not right. I deserve more. And this had affected their life in such a way they had turned from a faithful relationship to God to an unfaithful relationship, turning from God and living for sin. The priesthood had become defiled. You get that in chapter 1, verse 6 through chapter 2, verse 9. The people had become disobedient, chapter 2, verse 10, all the way to chapter 3, verse 15. But... They were still coming to the temple offering sacrifices as if they were living for God. Here's the problem. You see, if you want to live for sin, go for it. But if you want to live for sin and still come to church, 
and think that you will escape God's notice, there's the problem. Hopefully you'll turn. But these guys were going on with their offerings and their relationship as if God didn't even care about how they were living. We want to look at the people's violation of the covenant of separation in relationship to marriage in verses 10 through 17 of chapter 2. Three things we want to look at. First, the people were being unequally yoked, verses 10 through 12. Secondly, the people were divorcing their wives, verses 13 through 15. Thirdly, the people were joining God to their sin, verses 16 through 17. Let me read the passage and we'll take one section at a time. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another by reprofaning the covenant of the fathers? Judah has dealt treacherously and an abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's holy institution, which he loves. He has married the daughters of the foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, being awake and aware, and who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with a good will from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth with whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? He seeks godly offspring. Therefore take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we worried him? In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or where is the God of justice? Verses 10 through 12 gives us the people who were being unequally yoked. Notice first that God accuses them of being unfaithful to the covenant of the fathers. In verse 10, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? God had redeemed Israel from Egypt. In Exodus 19, 5, he says, you are my chosen people. You are a holy nation. I have separated you unto myself. He was the father by not only calling Abraham to be the father of the nation, but it was God who was originally the father who gave Israel a purpose and a direction for life. As fathers, we are to give purpose and direction to our children. And those homes who do not have those father figures, though they may be present physically, but they're not really there to meet the needs, then what happens to the child? He goes wayward. He has no example. He has no instruction. And therefore, he's left to himself. But certainly, they could not accuse God of that. In Leviticus chapter 20, in Leviticus 20, 24, 
He says, but I have said to you, you shall inherit their land and I will give it to you to your possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. Basic principle. God has separated them from the world. God has separated you and I from the world. Does that mean that we have nothing to do with people who are not Christians? God forbid. For Paul says, then God would have to take you out of this world. You know, the boat belongs in the water, but it's when the water gets in the boat, the boat gets in trouble. You have to be real careful. Now, Paul says, if a believer is committing sexual sin, then have nothing to do with them after you've exhorted them and they haven't repented. But if a non-believer, your next door neighbor, is shacking up with his girlfriend and God is opening some door for you to witness and they invite you to dinner, don't be such a self-righteous snob. Go to dinner. And pray that God opened a door to lay a heavy witness on them. In love, not in condemnation. But if they don't receive it and they want to drag you into their sin, then buy out gracefully and say, you know what? I've got to pick up the kids. Thanks for inviting us. There's a big difference. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 3 through 4. He says, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughters to your sons, nor take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. Remember those two things. They will turn your sons and daughters away from following God. Second of all, he says, that will arouse God's anger to destroy them. Don't forget those two things as we go through the study. When you get some time, look up Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1 through 3, the same thing. They had not separated themselves from the Canaanites and the other people of the land. This was after the captivity. Right after the captivity. You see, to be unfaithful to the covenant of the fathers was to be dealing treacherously with one another because it would pollute the nation. God had gone through some extreme measures to separate them, to make them a pure people. Not because they were more in number, not because they were more righteous than anybody else. It's simply because God loved them. Now, God has separated you and myself and has done a great work in our life and put us aside for His kingdom, not because we were so righteous, not because we are the neatest people, but it's because we are more the most hurting people, the needful people. And God places love upon you and I for His will, for His purposes, for His glory. But notice also in verse 11 that God accuses them of profaning His holy institution of marriage, which He loves. How were they profaned by marrying daughters of foreign gods? Once again, throughout their history, they knew. They were not ignorant to this. The scriptures declare to us regarding Solomon. Solomon of all men. He was the wisest of all men. No one has been like him. Therefore, in my mind, whenever one is so wise that no one can be compared to them, they have a great potential for wisdom. They equally have the same potential for being stupid and dumb on the other extreme. It all depends whether you're going to yield to God or your own wisdom. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel, you shall not marry them with them, nor they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. And Solomon clung 
to these in love. You know what happened to Solomon. Solomon had a big hang-up, women. He had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Busy man. <laughs> when you get a chance again, read Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. As they were being taught the word of God there by Ezra, they saw their, their, their treachery and their disobedience to God, and they, they gave a repentance because they saw that they were not to be unequally yoked. The consequence of being dragged away from God. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 26 and 28. Remember, Nehemiah left for a while back to Jerusalem. When he came back, they were already marrying with other uh, people and the kids couldn't even speak the, the language of, uh, of, of the Jews and they were half and half. And it, it was just crazy. And Nehemiah was a man of action. Ezra plucked his own beard out. Nehemiah pulled theirs out. I like his method better. Sometimes I think in the Christian community we become very fragile, very mamby-pamby, and we don't want to offend people. Certainly we do not want to go out of our way to be abusive and to use the pulpit as some kind of shooting gallery to try to humiliate people. But God help us if we ever shirk back from giving the Word of God directly, lovingly, compassionately, but sternly. All I can do is proclaim to you the Word of God, and then it's up to you to obey it or disobey it. That's your choice. Now God announces judgment. A cutting off of the one guilty of being unequally yoked in verse 12. Notice they had profaned God's holy institution in verse 11. What is it? Marriage. It is His institution. He instituted it in Genesis. It isn't a man's institution. It isn't something. Man isn't smart enough to come up with something like that. Let me take it back. Man isn't committed enough to put something like that together. It has to be God. And so in verse 12, the Lord, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the prophet here declaring his mind, his heart, the man who does this being awake and aware and who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. This announcement of judgment is to that man and who was still going on committing this sin and still coming to the Lord. First, they were conscious of the law and of their sin, being awake and aware. They weren't ignorant of it. They were willfully disobeying God. Secondly, they were continuing to offer sacrifice as if all things were right with God. Did not Paul the Apostle tell us the very same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, down to chapter 7, verse 1? Be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what communion has light with darkness? God with Belial. Come out from among them. I'll be a father to you and you will be a son and a daughter to me. And then in chapter 7 verse 1 it says, Now, having been purified from all these things, let's move on to perfection of holiness. If God has done all this for us and what He's taken us out of, what He's forgiven us out of, now are we going to be like the Galatians beginning in the spirit now finishing the flesh to be made perfect remember these people had become disillusioned and disheartened with God because they had not received what they thought they should have and they thought that God's promises were not going to happen now where are you this morning 
Have you been serving God for 5, 10, 15, 20 years and now you've given your life to God but He's still not here and you say, man, maybe I made a mistake. And the world's looking better and better each time. It's like those guys at the bar, you know. After a while, anything looks good. <laughs> and I've seen Christians like that. Young ladies sold out for the Lord and everything, but then time moves on and, and they get into their 20s and maybe even their late 20s and they start saying, oh man, you know, I'm... And then they're looking to the world. Or guys. Be careful. There's a lot of honey dripping women out there, men. Be careful. They'll stick to you. And then you're in a big mess. Young ladies, be careful. Do Christian men bore you? Because they're not go-getters for the priorities of the world. Money is not a great interest, though they're going to be committed to provide. They're not the jet set. That's what you want. Do you realize what you're choosing? Be real careful. I say this because it's true and it happens all the time in the Church of Jesus Christ. We become envious. We, we feel that God's love has shortchanged us. God forbid. Hang in there. God is faithful. Adam wasn't biting his nails about a bride. God brought her to him. Am I saying you're not to date? I'm not saying that, but you better date believers. And as you're dating believers, be sensitive to God's voice. And he'll show you that man or that woman. But don't be in a hurry. Because once you say, I do... There's no returns. And I say that seriously. I wish you could be in my office week after week, month after month. But we love each other. What do you mean by love? You feel good? You're physically attracted? They turn you on? Marriage is more than feeling good. Marriage is more than looking for the right person. It's being the right person. Marriage is not marrying somebody so they can do all for me, but it's for me to be and to do all so that person can be all that Christ has intended them to be. Marriage is not to make another person like me, but marriage is to make both of us like Christ. That means there is a heavy cross in marriage. But there is so much joy. Because in marriage you have history behind you. Aches, pains, joy, happiness, memories, kids, family. But when marriages are dissolved, you're left with a very superficial relationship that has no history. And without no history, you have nothing worth living for. And that's what's happening today in the church of Jesus Christ. So the people were being unequally yoked. Secondly, in verses 13 through 15, the people were divorcing their wives. Notice the first step. Listen well. Don't miss the very obvious. 
First, they began to be joined with unbelievers. Oh, mom, dad, it's only a date. Have you ever known anybody to marry somebody who they didn't date first? If he or she is a non-believer, my child will not date him or her with my permission. They want to rebel. They want to disobey. They better count the cost. But I will not budge. And I know that they might not budge. So I've got to pray for my children night and day. Agonize over them. So the people now move to divorcing their wives. In verse 13, he says, And this is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with, with goodwill from your hands. And so the people were coming to God's altar in hypocrisy. Therefore, God rejects their worship. This is exactly what's going on. Seeming worship. Notice that he saw past their tears and emotions and deceit. Often we can come to church and continue the facade and, and, and though the emotions are all gone, all we have is just certain motion going through things. Now, I don't see through those things. Sometimes I may, sometimes, but most of the time I don't. Because I don't have all knowledge. Unless God would give me a word of knowledge when I'm speaking to you or you to somebody else, there's no way you can know. But God sees through the tears, and, and often this is what happens. People become disobedient to what they know to be wrong in God. And then, once they commit themselves, they go, oh, but the tears are not sincere. It's hypocrisy. There's no real action behind them. You knew what you were going to do all along. And you've got it all planned out. God sees through that. But God also saw it as a worship of self-will, not of God's will. You see, when you know that you're not to be joined to a non-believer, listen to me. As boyfriend or girlfriend. Some of you have boyfriends and girlfriends who don't know the Lord. You're sinning against the Lord. And you're going to hurt yourself. Because I'll tell you what. When that guy wants to get down hot and heavy, girls. What are you going to tell him? You want to pray? I don't think he's going to want to pray. But he looks to you as a prey. Girls are just as bad today, young men. So be careful. And she might have a good-looking face, terrific body, but I hope that's not all you get in marriage. Because one day you roll over in bed and you say, my God, what did I do? And you will roll over every morning. And you will look at that mug every morning. Now, unless you think I'm against marriage, I wouldn't be any other way. I thank God for my wife, for my marriage. I've been blessed. But only because of the Lord. That's all. But think it well. 
Pastor Xavier Reese and the dangers of hypocrisy of faith when it comes to getting unequally yoked in marriage on today's Simple Truths. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now, there's much more of this message to come right here next time as well. But if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply Faithful to God in Dating and Marriage. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Faithful to God in Dating and Marriage. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com